Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. You know, life can be such a grind at times, and so we're here sharing God's Word with you to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the host of the Grind It Podcast, the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we are going to start the Gospel of Matthew. We just finished the book of Hebrews. I want to get back to uh, uh, discovering Jesus so we can get to know who Jesus is and grow closer to him in our walk. Uh, There's nothing uh, that takes the place of getting to know Jesus. Now, as you can tell today, I'm uh, adorning a new hat. This is my Irish walking hat. And you're like, why are you wearing an Irish walking hat? Well, several reasons. First of all, I like it. Uh, but uh, I've been taking Irish dance classes on Saturdays. Uh, just uh, you know, I just turned 50 years old, so I'm just trying to do some things to stay in shape, some things that I enjoy. I do work out but uh, and still skateboard, but uh, I just wanted to, to, to try something new. And uh, and you're thinking, why Irish dancing? Well, I, I saw River Dance when uh, my son was three years old, so that had been 20 years ago, 21 years ago, and I really enjoyed it. So I've always been fascinated with it. Plus, uh, I, I discovered that Tucker, the, the last name Tucker, uh, actually goes back to Irish roots, and on my mother's side, the McNeelys uh, are definitely Irish, and so I get it honest. It, it's just in my blood. And so, um, uh, I don't know what this has to do with this podcast, but I just thought I would share about my hat. And uh, so, let's just put that to the side and we'll get into Matthew chapter 1. Um, but it, just a, a brief introduction to Matthew. Matthew, if you remember, when Jesus was going around selecting his disciples, he picked 12 guys, right? Well, Matthew, also called Levi, was one of those original 12. And Matthew was a tax collector. He was literally hated by his own people. And he was used by the Roman government to collect taxes. And so what these tax collectors would do was basically cheat people out of money. And they would collect extra money, extra taxes, and keep it for themselves. And so Matthew was not a very well-liked person in his community. And yet here's Jesus hand-picking Matthew, which is actually an interesting topic in of itself. Um, even after meeting Jesus and, and, and going around and getting to know Jesus like we're doing by by studying Matthew's gospel since it is written firsthand he is a firsthand witness to the things that Jesus taught the things that Jesus uh, said the things that Jesus preached the things that Jesus did the miracles uh, all of these things are firsthand by our uh, witness firsthand by uh, Matthew and he's going to write these these things down after Jesus dies and and here we are 2000 years later still reading uh what Matthew wrote about Jesus so that we too even though we can't see Jesus yet we have it from a first hand witness the things that Jesus said and, and and did and therefore we can read it and make our own decision if we want to get to know Jesus and if we want to follow Jesus just as Matthew did but even after getting to know Jesus, 
Matthew still hung around his tax collector friends. And in fact, in Matthew 9, 9 through 10, he had a big old party and invited a bunch of his tax collector friends over just so they could meet Jesus for themselves. And and that's pretty interesting to me. And, and that's exactly what we should be doing as followers of Christ is sharing Jesus with our friends and our family. And that's one of my goals with the Grinded Podcast is to share Jesus not only with friends and family, but but with people all across the world. This 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 uh, podcast is heard all around the world. I I I, I can look at the the uh, the metrics uh, on the the host of of this podcast and who puts it out there for you all to enjoy to listen to it, and I can see. Uh, what devices are being used to listen? I can see uh, which of the the uh, apps are used. The people are using to listen to it, and I can see uh, all over the world where uh, the Grind It podcast is being listened to, and it's pretty cool to see those things. Because when you see that it's being listened to in China, that, that's 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 pretty awesome. Um, but Matthew's primary audience, when he was pinning his letter. His primary audience was to Jews, and his intent was to record the life of Jesus, his teachings, and all of these great things that Jesus did for people because he is backing up the claim. Because this is written after Jesus died. And, 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 and it's also written a few years after, probably several years after Jesus had died and, and, and went back into heaven. And Matthew would have saw Jesus ascending back to the Father. At the at the end of Luke and 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 uh, in, in Acts chapter one, Matthew would have been there to witness this, and and probably had a thought somewhere down the road that hey we need to write this stuff down so it doesn't get lost uh, you know as time goes on, and so thank God that we have Matthew's first hand witness recorded down so that we can know some of the things that Jesus did and so that we can make a decision for ourselves to either reject Jesus or follow Jesus. And I hope and pray as we go through the book of Matthew, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just hope and pray the Holy Spirit will just tug at your heartstrings and that you will become a follower of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, as we go through the book of Matthew, that you and myself as well, would just grow closer to Jesus as we get to know him more. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew starts off with this genealogy of Jesus. And, and, and it's so easy just to pass right on through that genealogy because it's a lot of begots. If you read the King James Version, uh, it, it, it's just a lot of begots. So-and-so begot, so-and-so, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and it goes on down and on down until it gets to Joseph and Mary, and, and Jesus is is born. And so a, a lot of people just skip this genealogy and go straight to the birth of Jesus. But there's some things that I want to point out about the genealogy. It's, it's, it's really not good to skip that, and it's really good to, to study the people uh, that are that are in that genealogy, because it'll, there's a lot of stuff that we can learn about Jesus. There's a lot of stuff we can learn about God, and there's a lot of stuff that we can learn about these people as well. And and as I said while ago in the introduction, uh, Matthew's audience or his primary audience is he, he's he's writing to Jews, 
And Matthew's genealogy is crucial to the Jews because it traces Jesus' lineage through David and Abraham. And he specifically mentions those two people, uh, David and Abraham. And one of the reasons that uh, Matthew does this is because there are specific prophecies. There's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, over 300. And Jesus fulfilled every one of them. But there are, there are some specific prophecies attached to the Messiah that, uh, that specifically say that he would be a descendant of David and sit on the throne of David and also from Abraham. And we'll get to Abraham in just a second. But in the book of Matthew, Jesus is known as the, the son of David. Uh, and he's called the son of David ten times. Um, and so with these prophecies going through uh, the, the lineage of David and how the Messiah would sit on the throne of David to a Jew, this is absolutely crucial. Because if you take the lineage of David out of the Messiah's life, the one who's claiming to be the Messiah to a Jew, they're not even going to listen. They're just going to reject that person as a false prophet. Um, and because they had many of those that come, come along way before Jesus and even after Jesus, people who claimed to be the Messiah, but yet they, they, they were not the Messiah. They were false. Um, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, this is one of the prophecies about uh, Jesus being from the lineage of David. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch, that's a capital B, branch, bearing fruit from the old root. Talking about Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and, and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. That is talking about Jesus. In Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. And that day Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And we know Jesus is a king. He is called the king of kings and the Lord of lords in the book of Revelation. And then in Acts chapter 2, 22 through 36, when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, well, all the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but it was Peter that stood up and he started preaching to the Jews that had gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost who were bringing their first fruits to God. And they see all this going on and they hear these apostles speaking in tongues and they're thinking that the, the, the guys are drunk. And, and Peter's like, oh no, we're not drunk. This is was prophesied by Joel and, and this is what, what's going on. And, and, and so he preaches that first sermon there on the day of Pentecost. And he says, people of Israel, listen. So he's talking to the Jews there. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene. You know, you rejected this Jesus. 
But God publicly endorsed him, Jesus the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God, uh, but God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. Talking about King David, the one that the Jews, so he goes right to it. And he's backing up exactly what Matthew says in the genealogy. He's backing up what uh, all the prophets said, that Jesus would come through the lineage of David. He says, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death cannot keep him in its grip. King David said about uh, this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, uh, Peter says, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he was he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. Peter's saying you can go visit his tomb. You could dig up his bones if you wanted to. And he says, but he was a prophet. Talking about David, he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now, he is exalted, and Matthew would be included in that. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this, Peter says. Now, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. So Peter just backs up the claim through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the words of the Holy Spirit working through Peter, that God has raised up Jesus from the dead, and now he is ascending back to the Father, and he is sitting at the Father's right hand on his throne. And this is what David was referring to when he said that he would sit on David's throne. And and so this ties it all together, that that. Uh, Jesus would come from the lineage of David and he which was Israel, one of Israel's greatest kings if not the greatest king and that he would sit on David's throne and Peter just puts it all together right here in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus is sitting on David's throne because he's sitting at the father's right hand but then Matthew not only uses David but he also traces Jesus through Abraham. Why would Matthew choose to trace Jesus back to Abraham? Well, if you remember in Genesis chapter 12, it was Abraham that God chose to make a covenant with. Remember he told Abraham, leave your family behind and go to this land that I'll show you. I'll let you know whenever you get there. You just start traveling. And when you get there, I'll let you know that you have arrived. So God gives all these promises to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham. 
And, and that's when the circumcision began. It was a sign of the covenant. And, and God says, if you choose not to be circumcised or if your children are not circumcised, then I don't have any part of them. They, they have nothing to do with me and I don't have anything to do with them because they are rejecting my covenant. Therefore, all the males uh, were circumcised on the eighth day. And if you go and when we read the book, uh, uh, th- these gospels, we see that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, uh, just as he was supposed to be as a little Jewish baby boy. So Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham because Abraham is the father of the Jews. Your father Abraham had many sons. Many sons is that father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. And I can't remember the rest of the song. But anyway, um, and and. And we've looked at this in previous uh, studies, but and you can uh, go and look this up for yourself. But if we are following Christ, if we belong to Christ, we too are seed of Abraham. We are in that covenant with God. And, and according to Colossians chapter 2, down around verse 10 through 12, uh, we are circumcised of the heart, Paul says. It's not of flesh, but of the heart. And then we belong to Christ, and we are seed of Abraham. So anybody that is a, a child of God who has put on Christ and is following Christ, it, it goes all the way back to Genesis 12 with that covenant that God made with Abraham. And we too are seed of Abraham. Um, and so Matthew then chooses for his Jewish audience to prove to them that Jesus' lineage goes all the way back to Abraham, and it also passes through David. And so there will be no excuse, absolutely no excuse, for the Jews to have to reject Jesus as Messiah because he is exactly who the prophet said he would be, and Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, and that is the Son of God. And the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, Matthew says, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And so he uses David and he uses Abraham. Well, why the genealogy? Why why does he start off with this genealogy? Well, genealogies, to, to us, in America today, they're, they're, I mean, we have, we got what, uh, this is not a plug for them, but Ancestry.com where you can, uh, you can take some DNA and trace back your ancestry and find out, you know, all about your ancestors if you're interested in that kind of stuff. But let's just be honest, for, for the most part, people today really don't care. But if you live in another country, genealogies are very important to you and, and you want to know your uh, family line, you want to know your history, you want to know your heritage. And uh, to the Jews, it was very important, specifically when it comes to being a priest. Because if you wanted to be a priest uh, in, in uh, Judaism, under that old covenant, under that old system, you had to be able to trace your lineage all the way back to Aaron, or you couldn't be a priest. And what's significant about that is in, in the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70 and when the, uh, by the Roman government, and it was burned, it was just destroyed. 
and it's and, and it's never been rebuilt it's been destroyed since AD 70 and when the temple was destroyed all of the records were destroyed and so there's no possible way to trace back the lineage for people to be priests today and if I'm not mistaken there's not anybody qualified to be a priest today because of these records being destroyed and and Though Matthew is not specifically tracing Jesus' lineage back to be a priest, we know because we just studied the book of, of Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest. But what is significant is here, we have not only Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, but we also have Luke's account of, of the genealogy. And, and they're traced through two different lines. And, and there's, two different re- there's many different reasons for that. But... What makes this significant is that we have the lineage of Jesus. Even though all of these records were destroyed in Jerusalem when the temple was destroyed for all of those priests, and people rightly cannot become priests today because they can't trace their lineage back, here we have an accurate account from Jesus all the way down to Abraham. And if you go and look at Luke's genealogy, it starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam who was God's uh, first uh, born or the first creation, if if you will. And so even though all these genealogies were destroyed and they're very important to the Jews, Jesus' genealogy has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years, or at least 2,000 years since, since he's uh, left this earth and went back to the Father in heaven and is sitting in his right hand. And so... Just like the Jews had no excuse to accept Jesus, but yet they came up with many excuses. We too, 2,000 years later, we have the record of Jesus' ancestry. We, we have his genealogy, and, and we are without excuse. We have the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew being a firsthand witness to what Jesus did, what Jesus said. We are without excuse that we we know from these writings that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, he is the anointed one, he is the Son of God. And we have a choice. We can either choose to reject it, we can reject Jesus, or we can accept Jesus. We can draw closer to Jesus, or we can just forget all about Jesus and live our own life. And and what Matthew's going to do, he's going to start off with, with the Immaculate Conception of Jesus and Mary's virgin birth and say this is how God God's son was brought into the world but before we get into that I want to point out a few things about this genealogy uh, or a few more things anyway uh, one would expect that Jesus who was perfect right Jesus was the only person who was perfect he never sinned he never did anything wrong that was because he could be our sacrifice to die for our sins. Um, and so one would expect, since Jesus was perfect, that he came from perfect people. But this is definitely not the case. God used ordinary, everyday, messed up people like you and me to usher in the Messiah. I, I love this about this genealogy and how Matthew points this out throughout his genealogy. You think about Abraham. Abraham being the father of the Jews. Surely he's perfect, right? No. Abraham didn't trust God. 
Abraham had a problem with his faith because he lied about Sarah being his sister when he thought that he was going to die. He thought that he was going to be killed when he was confronted. And, and so he, he told Sarah, he said, you tell them that you're my sister. And he got scolded for that. So he didn't really trust God. He, 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 he had uh, problems trusting God. And then you have Jacob, the, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, Jacob was a deceiver. Uh, he, he deceived his father to steal his birthright from his brother and uh, fr from Esau. And his mom even helped him. And if you go back to Isaac, I skipped over Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac was just like Abraham. He lied. He lied too. Uh, Judah, uh, if you remember the story of Joseph the, who had the coat of many colors, uh, Judah and his brothers who became the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah and his brothers sold Joseph, their baby brother, into slavery. But not only that, Judah has sex with a woman who he thinks is a prostitute, but it turns out to be his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and she becomes pregnant, which is key. And we'll see that later on in the uh, bringing in or ushering in the Messiah. David, King David, surely, you know, he was called a man after God's own heart. So surely David was was perfect or at least almost perfect, wasn't he? Didn't he live a, a great life? Well, yeah, he lived a good life, but he also lived a troubled life, and he brought a lot of it onto himself. Uh, David, this man who is known to be after God's own heart, instead of being out at war with his army, one day he's, he's walking out on the roof of his huge palace, and he sees this woman taking a bath. And uh, I don't understand why she would be taking a bath this time of day, and and so the and the king would be able to see her. And a lot of people blame uh, uh, Bathsheba, and and says that she's not innocent in this matter, uh, because David sends for Bathsheba, wants to know, find out who she is, invites her up to his uh, palace. She, he ends up having sex with Bathsheba, but she becomes pregnant. Uh, and David uh, finds out that she's pregnant, so he takes Uriah, who is one of his greatest uh, military leaders, and has him put on the front lines. The army is told to withdraw, and there's Uriah left to defend himself against the whole army, and so he is killed. So basically, David has slept with his wife, got her pregnant, and then has Uriah murdered. And so... Uh, David then, King David, the, probably the most respected leader of Israel and the Jews, King David, uh, was far from perfect. And yet God said, he's a man after my own heart. And God uses this situation to usher in the Messiah. And then we have Solomon. Solomon, was uh, he asked for wisdom. He's known to be the most wisest person uh, but with all those wives and concubines, I don't know what he was thinking there. But when we read uh, Solomon's writings, it seems like Solomon uh, battled uh, depression. And it's, it almost seems like that he was pretty much a basket case. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, it's a, you think about, uh, bring it kind of more up to date, you have Mary and Joseph. Who, uh, who is the, Mary being the mother of Jesus and Joseph being 
the earthly father of Jesus, if you will. But people labeled, I mean, Mary was absolutely labeled with adulterer. Everywhere that she would go, people would think that she was an adulterer. People would tell Jesus, isn't your, aren't you a son of an adulterer? And if you think about it, it doesn't say this anywhere in the Bible, but if people looked at Mary as an adulterer, I guarantee you that Joseph carried that burden as well, that people would, his own family, his, his, his uh, people in his community, the Jewish people who, the, that knew him, that knew Mary and knew their situation, but didn't understand why it had happened because they couldn't wrap their mind around it, they would be all over Joseph for marrying Mary. Um, and, and so he would carry this burden too. So my whole point is, by saying all of these things, is drawing these people out of this genealogy, is that God uses ordinary people who struggle in life just like you and me, who make just dumb decisions on a daily basis to bring Jesus, the Messiah, into this world. And as a man, he lived a perfect life and he became our sacrifice for sin, which is the whole point of Matthew writing this gospel that we're going to be studying over the coming weeks. But one last thing that I want to point out before we uh, move on, and I'll probably close the, the po- this podcast out with, with this thought because it's going to take a few minutes to cover. But Matthew does something special in his genealogy. He mentions five women. Um, women were typically not included in Jewish genealogies. And one would think that since Matthew mentions five different women and his audience is Jewish or his main audience is Jewish, that he would write about five Jewish women and how great they were. But that's not what Matthew does. He mentions one Jewish woman that will be Mary, the mother of Jesus. But the other four women are Gentiles. Um, he 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 uh, he's going to mention Tamar and Rahab. They were Canaanites, the race of people living in Canaan when the Israelites took possession of the land. Then you have Ruth. She was a Moabite. Bathsheba, who though she may have been an Israelite by birth, was married to Uriah the Hittite, which I just mentioned, who was killed by David, murdered. Uh, but uh, this the Bathsheba being married to uh, this. Uh, Uriah the Hittite, it it legally made her a Hittite. And so we've got these four Gentile women that are mentioned in uh, Matthew's genealogy. And I just want to just highlight these four women just for a moment. And uh, for example, Tamar. Tamar goes all the way back to, to Judah. I already mentioned how that she has dressed as a prostitute because her father-in-law, Judah, would not complete the Levite marriage. And, and In a nutshell, what the Levite marriage was, was, okay, Judah has some sons. The oldest son married Tamar. He died. So the next son in line had to marry Tamar and have a child in honor of his brother. Well, he dies. And this keeps going on until all of Judah's sons have died except for his youngest son. And, and so here you got this child and you have this older woman who uh, has been promised by Judah to be able to marry this youngest son when he gets old enough to marry. But 
The problem is Judah, he, he decides, I'm not letting her marry my, my, my youngest son. And so this is what happens in Genesis 38, 12 through 27. It says, after a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. So Judah's wife dies. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep and his friend Hera, the Adullamite, went with him. So he's going to this, this town called Timnah to shear some sheep. And he's got his friend with him. And when Tamar was told that your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes because she was living with uh, Judah. I, I believe she, uh, maybe not at this time, maybe it's at the end. So let me just read it. So when Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself so she's being deceptive, and then sat down at the entrance of Enum, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Sheila had not grown had now grown up that's that's Judah's youngest son Sheila had now grown up she had not been given to him as his wife as Judah had promised her when Judah saw her he thought that she was a prostitute for she had covered her face not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law he went over to her by the roadside and said come now let me sleep with you let me have sex with you that's what he's saying and I, and what will you give me to have sex with you uh, Tamar asked I'll send you a young goat from my flock. Well, that's worth it, isn't it? Well, back then it would be. It's like money. He said, and, uh, he said, I'll give you my young goat or a young goat from my flock. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal, which was a ring. They, they would wear a ring with their seal uh, and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So she's saying, you, you're basically saying, you just give me uh, uh, proof that you are who you say you are. And so there's no denying if she has this seal and this cord and his staff, everybody would know that this stuff belonged to Judah because she knows she's deceiving him. And so he gave them to her and he, he had sex with her. He slept with her. And she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adolamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman. But he did not find her, and he asked the man who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enium? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. And then Judah said, let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughingstock. Because so, he, he known he's, he, he messed up. After you know, I mean, Think about it. His wife has died. He, she's passed away. He's been grieving. There sits a prostitute. What? I mean, yeah, it's wrong, but what's a man going to do? He's going to turn to another woman to find comfort. And having sex with her makes him feel close. And so he thought he was having sex with a prostitute. It's been a while since he's had sex. And so, hey, there's a prostitute. It means nothing to me. I just need some time and comforting from a woman. And, and so, sure enough, he don't want to become a laughingstock. So he says, hey, she can just keep all that stuff. Um and he says, after all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. So in other words, I kept my pledge. He didn't keep his pledge to, to Tamar to begin with. He didn't give his son to her to marry, like he said. But hey, he kept this pledge. He, he, he knows he's done wrong, but hey, he's going to send that goat to take care of it, right? Uh, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. 
And Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. And she was being brought out. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father in law I am pregnant by the man who owns thee, she said. And she added, See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. There's no denying it, whose they are. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I would not give her my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, So this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and he was named Zerah. Well, Guess what Matthew says are the names of the twins that were used to usher in the Messiah way back before Jesus was ever conceived. There was a man who slept with a woman who he thought was a prostitute. His name was Judah. Her name was Tamar. It was his daughter-in-law. She deceived him and became pregnant. After he, she slept with his her father-in-law, and she has twins. And Matthew even gives us their names, Perez and Zerah. This happens thousands of years ago, this messed up situation. And yet God uses it to usher in Jesus, the Messiah. And then we have Rahab. Her story is found in Joshua 2 and 6. Not only Tamar just dressed as a prostitute, Rahab is a prostitute. That is her occupation. She lives in the walls of the city of Jericho. That's where her house is. And she has men coming over, sleeping with her, paying her some money, and then going on about their way. She is a a, a legit prostitute. So it's it's really a, a, a good disguise for these men that Joshua is going to send in to Jericho to spy out the land, they're going to go into this prostitute's house to hide. I mean, what better uh, way to hide? I mean, I'm just going to see this woman to have some sex, and I'm going on about my, my way. I'm going to you know, go in there and do my business, pay her, and go on about. So this is a perfect cover-up. But the problem is the king of Jericho finds out about it. He's going to send people to Rahab's house and say, you need to give us these men. Well, she knows exactly what's going on, and she had told the spies, I will help you if you make a covenant with me and my family that we will be spared because we know what God has been doing for y'all, and I want my family to be spared. And so they make a covenant with her. They uh, These spies make a covenant with Rahab, and they tell her, you put out this scarlet thread out the window, uh, and you help us escape. And then when we, when, when we come to take the city and God gives us the city, whoever's in your house, they're going to be spared. They're going to be saved. And so that's exactly what we see happening in chapter 6. When Israel comes to destroy it and they march around on the seventh day and the walls fall and they start killing people, Rahab and her whole family are saved because she did exactly what uh, they told her to do. That She put out the scarlet thread. 
It's an awesome story. And it's not mentioned anywhere in, in the book of Joshua, but we know from Matthew's genealogy that she marries a guy named Salmon, and they have a son named Boaz. Now, Boaz was this rich guy who owned a bunch of land, and there were these two women who came from Canaan, and they were Gentile women. Boaz would be attracted to one of the women and marry her, and we know her name was Ruth. Ruth has her own book in uh, the Old Testament. Boaz being a Jew, Ruth being a Gentile, they have a child named, oh, they get married, and, and they have a child named Obed. Obed was King David's granddad. And then we get to, uh, we get down the line and we get to this woman named Bathsheba. Matthew specifically mentions Bathsheba. And I've already mentioned uh, this story about how Bathsheba was married to Uriah, David's, one of David's, if not the greatest soldier that David had, leader of his army. She's out there. She's taking a bath. She's completely naked. She gets the attention of David. I mean, what man sees a, a, a naked, a beautiful, hot, fine, naked woman taking a bath? He, he, it's going to get his attention. You can guarantee that. I don't care how righteous you think you are. You, it, a naked woman who is fine and hot is going to get the man's attention. And so David stares a little too long decides he, he wants a piece of that. And so he sends his servant down, finds out what her name is, who she is, invites her up. She comes up. They have sex. Uh, David uh, has her husband Uriah murdered because he uh, she has become pregnant. Uh now that Bathsheba's pregnant, she ends up marrying David because Uriah, her husband, has been murdered by David. They lose that child because of the sin that's been committed because um, Nathan the prophet comes to David and calls him out. The child gets sick and dies. But she becomes eventually becomes pregnant again, and that's when Solomon is born. And, and Matthew specifically mentions David, Bathsheba, and Solomon. Solomon would be the one who builds the temple of God, the first temple, which was the permanent home for God in the Old Testament uh, in Jerusalem. But here's my point in bringing out these 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 Gentile women and in the people previously before uh, I went into the women. My point is that God uses imperfect people who make tons of bad decisions, who just comes up with these crazy ideas like dressing up as a prostitute and sleeping with their father-in-law just so that they can get pregnant. Or God uses a literal prostitute to accomplish his will in ushering in the Messiah. And then this man who is known as, uh, uh, David is known as a man after God's own heart, yet he sees a naked woman and decides he wants to have sex with her. And, 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 and so... He has her husband murdered, but yet uh, th through all of that junk, all of those bad decisions, all of that sin that has been committed, God still used those situations to accomplish his will. And he will do the same thing with you and me. He takes us flaws and all, no matter what we have done in the past. And you know what? We're going to continue to make dumb decisions just because if we follow Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
we're still human. We still make mistakes. We still make dumb choices. We still do stupid stuff. But God can take all of that, all of our junk, all of our past, all of our future mistakes, and use it for His glory, to use it for His purpose, to glorify Him. We just have to be willing to walk with Him and to trust Him. And when we do fall, when we do make a mistake, because we will, we're going to. That's what we do. We're human. We're, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. But we have to make ourselves available. We have to be a vessel to be willing to be used by God. And that, that, that's just what I want to just share with you from this genealogy of Jesus, how God has taken these imperfect people and ushered in the perfect person, Jesus, who was able to die on the cross for our sins to become that perfect sacrifice, that once and for all sacrifice, that through his blood our sins are washed away, and we can have a relationship with God. And God will use you if you let him. And the question is, are you willing to let God use you? God bless you. Thank you for listening today. If I can pray with you for anything, help you in any kind of way, please contact me at thegrindedpodcast at gmail.com and I will promptly get back with you. Thank you for listening today. Keep grinding. Thank you for listening to The Grinded Podcast today. May God bless you. If you have any comments or questions, you can email them to us at thegrindedpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like Randy to come and speak at your church or your next event, you can contact him through that same email address. Also, I would like to thank Jody Foster's Army, also known as JFA, for their song, Abba, as we use for our intro and our outro off their untitled 1984 album. May God bless you, and remember, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep grinding.